Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you're enjoying Pirate Living Podcasts and all the content we bring to you each week, you can support us and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pirate living. Other ways you can show your support as well, subscribe and follow Pirate Living Podcast, rate and review our show, and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up with the latest episodes, awesome guests, and bonus clips. Pop in and say hi. We love chatting with fellow pirates. You can also reach out to us uh, to learn more about our individual and group coaching programs. And as usual, keep creating good trouble. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to Pirate Living Podcast. We're your hosts, Karan and Kristen. On this podcast, we are highlighting ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are pirates who take small, bold actions daily to create social change. Pirate life is all about rebelling and breaking the rules for good. Creating lasting social change starts by first breaking our inner rules. After all, the hardest rules to break are in Rome. The pirates we highlight have dedicated themselves to creating good trouble. Today we are talking with Catherine Stellino, author of the book, The Bad Cadet, Growing Up in the Church of Scientology's Sea Organization. Catherine grew up on a secluded ranch within the cadet org, the Church of Scientology's Sea Org School for Children. At a young age, Catherine began to journal about her day-to-day life, capturing the thoughts and experiences of a child coming to age in a cult. Catherine's background offers the rare opportunity to tell the story of the hundreds of children who rarely saw their parents and were indoctrinated to become future Sea Org members. Catherine is no longer a Scientologist and lives in Minneapolis with her husband, happily raising three rambunctious boys. And Catherine, we're so happy to be chatting with you today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, when I saw you want, wanted to talk about your story, I was so excited to mm-hmm. dig into it. But before we do, we warned you ahead of time. <laughs> we have a poem that Google AI has created. Would you like to hear the poem that Google wrote for you? Oh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Catherine Spolino, a woman of courage. She speaks her truth no matter the consequence. She grew up in a cult, but she escaped and told her story. Now she is an author and speaker, inspiring others to break free from their own chains. She is a true hero, and we are lucky to have her. Thank you, Catherine, for your bravery. You are a role model for us all. Your story is one of hope and resilience, and it will continue to inspire people for years to come. Thank you for sharing your light with the world. Oh, I love it. Thanks, <laughs> yeah google's really good yeah like doing the boosting up of like (laughs) keep shining that light in your world it might not rhyme but it's really good like pet person (laughs) yes i love it i I think anytime i need affirmations i should just go to google then Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah Catherine. You grew up in Scientology, um, and we really want to dig in and hear your pirate journey, what led you to where you are today. But also, before we begin, um, 
Do you want to give our listeners just a, a brief like explanation on Scientology and what things they may need to know in order to understand like what it's about and what it was like for you? Uh, or yeah, what you <laughs> what is Scientology like um, other than Tom Cruise jumping on couches and those mm-hmm. things that people <laughs> might have heard? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Scientology was invented by L. Ron Hubbard. He actually first wrote a book called Dianetics in 1950s. And that was released. And from there, a few years, like 10 years down the road, he developed Scientology itself. And that kind of took over the whole the name. But it's people join it and they join it with the idea of they're going to have freedom of thought, they're going to become better people, they're going to be they, they wouldn't call it enlightened, but that's basically what they're trying to go for. And they have what's called a bridge and they pay money to go up these steps that you take. So like whether it's courses or auditing, which is similar to counseling, but we could really go into that, but that I won't do that. And you, and people who are in it go up these steps and feel like they're being enlightened and they're going to also help save the world because they're becoming better people. That's why people are in Scientology. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're in Scientology itself, you don't realize that slowly your group it becomes more and more closeted mm-hmm. and the outside world becomes more and more distant. And they do that because anything you read or any information you get is only from Scientology. Anything that any doubt or questions about it, they don't want to hear it. They're not going to read it. So you could wonder why are people still Scientologists when all this stuff is out there, especially like if people are following the news, Danny Masterson, mm-hmm. everything that happened there where he actually raped women who were Scientologists and the church covered it up. So it's like, how could people still call themselves Scientologists? They don't believe any of that. And they're just going to shut their eyes to it. Um, that's like a very, such a broad mm-hmm. example of Scientology. So we could definitely dive in deeper. And uh, my book, talks about growing up in Scientology and I think really can really capture what it was like for me as a child growing up not just in Scientology like as a parishioner but actually my parents worked for the church so they had dedicated my life to the church and this is since I was a baby so I didn't have a choice in it I was just doing it Mm. actually so before we go on I actually do want to talk uh, on the Danny Masterson stuff because I was telling Kristen I'm so excited Mm -hmm. to talk to you about this because I'm like I'm just like been enthralled in this last like whatever week Um, Mm -hmm. is that then why so many um, especially Scientologist actors and actresses have been writing those letters of support for for Danny in terms of like for his sentencing because they just don't necessarily believe it well, those people, only one of them was, I don't know if he still is a Scientologist. Ethan Supley was okay. a Scientologist. The other ones, they did, like, they would support Danny. I think they just literally were, like, ignorant to what it means when somebody's actually convicted of rape. And yeah. they're like, he's a good person. It's like, no, he raped women. <laughs> like, you can't be like, because he's these things, we should, like, try to ignore what happened over mm-hmm. here. Um, that was just people not really. Being- gotcha. I thought there was mm-hmm. more connection, like with people like Laura Prep Prepon, and like she, she is a Scientologist, so she would pr- definitely be up for writing that note. Yeah. Um, regarding, I don't know if the listeners would have followed all this, but the women who were raped were Scientologists, so they were discouraged from even reporting the rape. Mm-hmm. They were just, and they were even told, "Don't say rape." Some of them were even told, "Like this was your fault." you you made this happen and like they had to do work to make up for it or pay for counseling to make up for it mm-hmm. instead of you know Danny Masterson being caught 
for what he was. And he was able to, there's actually other victims who were also raped, but they didn't have an, a strong enough case to bring to court. So he was, had this like the church protecting him basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did like, I, I was thinking about it too. And the, not to go off on like, not to make this a Danny Masterson podcast, but <laughs> I, like, no, the it's fact, all news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that like this person of like the highest level of privilege in our society, you've got a white male actor rich with the church getting with backing him that like for that conviction that he got 30 years, like it really makes me want to find out more because if you look think of like brock turner got like three months for getting caught in the act of like raping oh uh, the girl in the back alley that yeah. like like i want to know more because a 30-year sentence is quite significant for sexual assault um like i said with from a basically a person of almost the highest level of privilege in our society so it, it just made me like really really interested in this whole case so yeah i just want to throw that out there I, I would be, if it's okay with you, my friend who actually was an editor with my book, she grew up with me. She has a podcast, if that's okay for me to mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's called The Lighthouse Project. And she dives into what happened on this trial. And they go, oh. each each court moment, like they like dive into it. They dive up into the Scientology part of it, what Scientology had to play in it. So if anybody really wants to know, like how, what was the evidence? How were they convicted? How did the church cover up? what part did the church have to play play and what did Danny Masterson like literally what was his actions all of it is laid out in their podcast it's amazing they've had like I think like I'm gonna say like 10 episodes already oh wow yeah it's a deep dive it's a deep dive but it's so informative and I think anybody who wants to know more about Danny Masterson can definitely go there absolutely you said the lighthouse project yes perfect and Miriam Francis is my friend we grew Mm -hmm. up together and she's in my book Perfect. Yeah. I will be um, downloading all 10 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll, th- I'll throw out while we're talking podcasts too. So like for any of listeners, if you really want to know more about Scientology to a, a quick place to go and learn a little bit more, a little bit culty is a great um, podcast for learning about cults. And there's an episode with Mike Rinder, who mm-hmm. was very high up in Sea Org. So want to know more information without me like asking Catherine to explain everything to us go there <laughs> so. yes and sptv on youtube is huge mm-hmm. right now all of these people who are second generation scientologists are all speaking out now and and mm-hmm. there's a whole thing and you could see it if you read my book the amount of fear to speak out is really real mm-hmm. so huge thing that all these people are like wait like let's just claim let's just speak out and be brave together and i think that makes more people want to speak out and it's amazing yeah yeah tv check that out too yeah and and that so when you speak out you and and i'm assuming sp that's uh what is it sub suppressive person suppressive person i was gonna say submissive no it's a different thing (laughs) suppressive person yeah Yeah. considered like evil Mm -hmm. Um, i never was given a suppressive what they call declare a piece of paper. They don't do that anymore because they was getting published on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like you're excommunicated from the church. No one could talk to you uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've I've been digging into things on cults lately. So I was reading a book um, by Amanda Montel called um, Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. She has like a whole chapter too on like the language of Scientology and how that's meant to um make the group feel very very important while outside people have no idea what is going on so yeah there there may be some terminology that gets thrown out too that's like what's this um (laughs) but yeah 
so many words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in it. So yeah, I'm sure some of it too was like a, a little bit of what, what was Scientology language and what's quote unquote normal speak. But yeah, we'd love to dig into your story since you were born into Scientology to Scientologist parents, you were raised by Scientology. Um, so, you know, you, anybody that's, I grew up in the Christian church and was like very much into that growing up, but there became a point too in your life where you realize like, this isn't all I thought it was. So we'd love to hear your story of, yeah, your journey or what we like to call your pirate journey. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Yeah. So my book is called the bad cadet referencing me as being bad because Growing up, I would always get into trouble. So I'm a pirate by nature, right? Um, I'll hold it up. I don't know if you guys do the uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. everybody's soldiers. It's probably backwards, but I'm the and the the young woman in pink, just causing chaos. Um, growing up, I thought everything was like normal. I thought it was normal that I wasn't with my parents. I thought it was normal. I was sent away to a boarding school at eight years old. And I was with other girls at my age and then boys were in the boys dorm. And we were told you guys are going to be future SEAG members. All we, we would study Scientology studies along with regular school, but not enough regular school to compensate like the time wise. It was half and half Scientology studies and uh, regular school. And for the most part, I was happy. I thought it was like going to be saving the world. I saw my parents every once in a while. No big deal, um, which looking back now, I'm like, wow, as a mother of three boys, I'm like, who was nurturing me? Who was taking care of me? Mm-hmm. You know, um, But I didn't know any of that. And so my book really tries to capture that childhood of how much I really believe in Scientology, like, and how much it was helpful and how good it was. And these, this is what I'm going to do. But then as I get older, as a teenager, a lot of teenagers tend to rebel but most teenagers in our situation do not because we have such rigid rules and structure, but I couldn't help myself. And I would always get into trouble for really silly teenage stuff. And then I would, the ramifications would be pretty large. Like I would be isolated from the group mm. and not be able to talk to my friends. And that would happen for a couple months. And then I'll be like, I just, and that, this is when I would start to be like, well, maybe there's something better out there. And I was an avid reader mm. and that having always knowing of these other books and we, they would let us watch movies on Saturday. So I had like those teenage movies that made high school look so fun. Like, you know, can't hardly wait or like <laughs> 10 things I hate about you and all those. I was like, I want to just go to high school by the time I'm like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. So anytime I tried to have those thoughts, they would either be like pushed down because I want to be like, what's more important me and my finding joy or saving the world. When you like put those two next to each other, you kind of make yourself second um, and kind of follow me as I go through this, like, do I want to join the Sea Org and be in the Sea Org and be there and being like a robot existence? Or do I want to just go and have a life? And something that's very interesting about C- what they call Sea Org members, people who work for the church, is at, around the late 1980s, they said no more children, you cannot have kids. Mm-hmm. So to going into it as a teenager, knowing I would, I wanted to have kids, and I was like, maybe it'll change the rule one day. And then I was like, realistically, they probably won't. So I had that also, like, I want to have fun. And I also want to have children one day. Mm-hmm. Is this, how do I stay in this environment when I can't even have things for myself? So that it was all selfish reasons of why I want to leave. It wasn't like, I know Scientology is trying to, is bad or anything. So it you kind of get more of a, a picture of 
Scientology and the reader forms their own opinion about Scientology. And it's, it's my opinion is like um, surprisingly kind because mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like your book starts off with almost painting, painting your parents as superheroes because they're saving the world. And like, yes, I I'm so excited. My parents are saving the world and I'm part of that. Um, and I'm curious too, why did is a reasoning why they said no more kids because of um like kids being born into Scientology they there's not going to be the same amount of money that goes into it or do you know their reasoning why they said no more kids for people in Sea Org in the Sea Org they didn't want the distraction of children oh, okay but find a place for them they had to get a school for them they had mm-hmm. to educate them and it was beginning to be too much and mm. um. Whereas regular Scientology families, if you're just like a parishioner, but you would be, they don't call them parishioners, they call them public, but they can have children and those second and third generations. So yeah, I was inside like the inner workings of the church and those people can no longer have children. And so like in the Sea Org, there's a high amount of abortions that happen because women will get pregnant and then they get basically coerced or brainwashed into believing, oh, I need to not have this baby because I got to be here in the Sea Org. Now, some people are strong enough mentally and they say, no, I won't have the baby. I'm going to leave the Sea Org and I'll still be a Scientologist because you could still be a Scientologist, although you'd have to make up for leaving and like do work and pay money <laughs> to for leaving the Sea Org, but then you could be back in good standing. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have left and had children. At, when they got pregnant in the Sea Org and they managed to leave, but that's not normal. Like a lot of women there end up choosing the church over their unborn child. And so what is the draw of being a member of the Sea Org? Like the draw why would, leaving yeah. the world, literally, you feel like the people there are like, oh, I'm, this is my purpose. And it sounds so vague. And it's so ridiculous. Like when I say it, I'm saving the world, I'm clearing the world. But whenever something natural disaster happens, like I remember when 9-11 happened, like David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology wrote this missive, this letter that got sent to all of us. And it's like, we must save the world. You guys see what's happening? Like, it's all on us. We need to clear people. We need to get people through up the bridge. So everything is like the onus is like, we're the ones who are the only ones with the answer. Hmm. And, and how, I know a lot of churches like that. Yeah. Okay. And how are like, is it by recruiting more people into Scientology? Yes. They want to recruit <laughs> more people into Scientology and get them up the bridge. But the bridge costs about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So hmm. it's really... I, I really can't say if David Miscavige actually believes he's saving people or if he's like, a, he he is definitely a lunatic, but it, does he believe what his lunacy and L. Ron Hubbard too, like they're, yeah. he, he made this all up, all of this mm-hmm. the bridge and stuff. I think a part of them did believe it, but then it's also a money hungry scheme of everything costs money. And the amount of money that these, the Scientologists pay is wild. Yeah. It, it's almost like a religious pyramid scheme. Yeah. yeah. Except for nobody, like, even if you're right here on the pyramid scheme, you're not getting nothing. Only David was <laughs> So all these people are doing this in the Sea Org. A lot of them are actually really good people, like my parents, mm-hmm. thinking they're doing something good and they're broke. They have no money. If they left, where would they go? Like mm-hmm. my parents are in their 70s. I, they don't talk to me anymore. And that's something we can talk mm-hmm. about later. But if you speak out on Scientology, they will excommunicate you. So even if they left, they would lose everything they have behind. So for me to write this book was very frightening because 
they had already actually stopped talking to me because my best friend, Marion Francis, and another good friend of mine at the time were on Leah Remini's show. And I had known about mm-hmm. it. And just because I knew about it, my parents and my sister, who's still in the Sea Org as well, stopped talking to me. And they wow. had been involved in my life. They knew I wasn't a Scientologist, but I was very good about not saying anything negative. I never said anything on, out on social media. So when my book came out, a lot of people were like, whoa, where did she come from? Like, this is wild because they knew they know who I am. My dad is like was a well-known what's called a supervisor. It's somebody who like oversees training on Scientology. So a lot of public Scientology parishioners know who he is. And so I kept my my name on there so that people were like, oh, this is the person. This is that child who's speaking now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's interesting that they stopped talking to you just because you knew that your friends were going to be on Leo Remini's show or documentary yeah. or show. Or just I was right. shocked, to be yeah. honest. Like, I, I was like, she's, the, first of all, ridiculous. But also, she, it's not like they're my wife. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like if I was connected in that way, because then it's like, I would be like, hey, like, I don't want to lose my family. It's And it's it's sad that you would have to say that to your spouse because of that mm-hmm. connection of like not wanting to lose your family. But for my friends, I'm like, yeah, speak your truth. Do what what you want to do. Why would I ever censor you? Mm-hmm. So then my parents were upset that I knew about it and didn't report them because it's things called knowledge reports. Mm-hmm. Right up. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not a Scientologist. Secondly, they're allowed to speak their truth. And then they're also not my wife. I don't understand why you guys are upset about this. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you guys just listen to what they have to say? Maybe Scientology, the church can do something and be better about how they've been in the past. But they, the, the church will never admit to doing anything wrong. Or I've never, I've yet to see them do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say like the cult, really. It's not a church. It's like, yeah. it's facade because mm-hmm. they don't believe in God or anything like that. Well, so and then that, so that brings up an interesting question. Then, if so, if they don't believe in like a, a deity like that, then um, how do they have like a religion tax status? Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild? And if mm-hmm. you watch those HBO documentaries, like Going Clear, they will really break it down. But long story short, they they sued all of the IRS. They found out the personal names of the people who worked in the IRS in the 90s and personally sued them by name, yeah. not by the organization, and harassed them and sent detectives around. And like mm-hmm. they wore them down, basically. Mm-hmm. And then that was how they got taxism status. So, so it's like it should definitely be revealed, revoked. That's millions that are t- being taken that people are paying to the church and they're using it for what building more buildings all around they're like trying to be like a Catholic church like having buildings in every city I think that's where they're trying to invest their money I guess but all of that money could go back to our actual children to our mm-hmm. society because mm-hmm. they're not even being taxed and it's ridiculous mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. I'm, I have so many questions I'm trying to formulate I know which one, <laughs> which one is right this I would recommend like going clear is a great documentary on mm-hmm. HBO mm-hmm. and then um Janet Reitman, is that, that was her book, I think, Going Clear. Or no, hers was Inside Scientology. That one really delves into it too. Mm-hmm. But when I was later in my 20s, I was reading all this stuff too because I don't know all these facts. They wouldn't, like Scientology just had a big event in the 90s, I remember saying, we are now a church. We won. We won everything. <laughs> like that, like a big, like you could picture, you know, those big stadiums mm-hmm. and Scientologists are cheering, like we're tax exempt. That's all I know. You know, mm-hmm. well, and so going okay. up to growing up in Scientology, being raised by the church, like, yes, absolutely. People go read the book because it 
does go like give a lot of Catherine's um thoughts there as well. But yeah, I'd love to hear too. What was it like growing up in the church, being raised by not your parents, um, but other people? And yeah, give us a little background on that. Yeah, it was very interesting because they called us adults in small bodies. We were treated mm-hmm. as adults, but we were little guys. So by the time I was eight years old, I was, I thought I was this is a, like a beginning chapter of my book where I'm chosen to go with my friend and we get to go to the ranch, which is called where we, they kept what's called a cadet org, which is mm-hmm. where you train to be a future Sea Org member. And to me, I'm just excited. I'm like, oh my gosh. And my older sister had been there for a while and I hadn't seen her. I get to see my older sister. I get to be, I was already used to being in dorms. We had dorms in LA, but it's like, this is going to be so fun and they have courses. So that's my viewpoint. And then as you follow along with me, there are certain things that you see that you're like, wait, that's not right. That children shouldn't be doing things. So I'm like doing labor, like doing weed whacking on the hillside to make a fire break around the ranch. And I'm nine years old. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm working in the galley and making hot dogs for the whole uh, hundred or so kids that there are um, and doing work like that. And I'm like rarely seeing my parents. And um, as I'm growing up, I'm still like trying my best. I'm trying to learn more about Scientology. Eventually I get told, okay, it's time to join the Sea Org. And then I'm in the Sea Org. And the Sea Org is completely different from being at the school, which has some sense of childhood there because me and my friends are all there. There's not a lot of of adult supervision. So we're also kind of silly all the time and have that aspect, at least part of an aspect of childhood. But once you're in the Sea Org, we're now lined up with like full-on adults, like doing actual what they call post. And when I'm in that situation is when I really start to question whether I can handle the amount of how, how much do they just want me to work, 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 study Scientology, work, work, work. And it, and it's just so boring to me, honestly, it was like really what made me want to leave. Like I want to have fun. I want to live a life. And I didn't want to just do these medial tasks that they were giving me and how how does a person leave everything behind, leave their family? I didn't, I don't have any, I hadn't really met my extended family. We were told the outside world is really bad. If I left, what if I become like promiscuous is what they said would happen. Mm -hmm. Or you can take drugs or, you know, that outside world is so scary, but to me it was worth trying to leave was worth like just to get out into the real world and experience something on my own. Mm -hmm. And you can follow that journey in my book. I, it's kind mm-hmm. of obvious I left. So it's like not a spoiler. <laughs> like, but it is what it is. But you can mm-hmm. see how hard it is. I think I wanted to really capture that like mind control thought where I keep talking myself back into staying into something. And you're just like, get out. And it's yeah. like, you know, um, and by the time I get out, I think people are rooting for me, um, the reader. And I mean, nobody wants anybody to be stuck in a cult, right? Yeah. Um, and I hope that it inspires other young women or men. I think it's more a uh, women <laughs> might read it more because it's like a young girl growing up. But of course, men may too. Um, if they're in a situation where they can't, where they see these mm-hmm. parallels, because there are parallels. I've talked mm-hmm. to people who've read the book who grew up in really extremely religious groups mm-hmm. and the parallel of being told, like, don't, don't believe those people. And like the outside world is bad. And um, that type of talk is very similar. But even in like daily life, like how many times have we learned to ignore ourselves? And even like, even when your internal, like 
compass is going, no, 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 don't do this. You go the other direction, like right. Teenagers growing up in a regular high school, like learning to go along with their friends versus that listening to that internal voice going, no, no, this is what you should be doing instead. So yeah, hearing it on what it seems like a more extreme nature can also come down to very much. I think anybody can relate to it because we all have those times of completely ignoring like what internally we are feeling and going with what we're seeing everybody else doing with what we think is right or the correct path to take. So yeah, it's very relatable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. especially because you know, there is a very high price for you to make that change or to leave the, the church or the organization um, was, I'm curious if there was like one kind of breaking point that you're like, no, fuck it. I'm out. Or was there like, was it just more of that slow boil until you came to that decision to leave? It was a slow boil in the Sea Org and there was several attempts to leave. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't all in one go. So, so it was, uh, it was hard to leave. And they also make it hard on especially cadets whose parents are in the Sierra because now they have to figure out where you're going to go. So they would do like, you can't leave until you get what's called a sec check, which is like a confession. But then they don't have any auditors as the people who would do it available to do it for you. So you're just sitting around wasting your life like in a dorm, you'd just be lounging and doing nothing or they'd have us go do like projects um, around what's called the, they call it the base. They use a lot of military words. Mm. Um, and so it's a long process to even leave. And, and while you're doing it, people are giving you dirty looks, you're, you're ostracized. And I'm just like, you know, giving them all the finger in my mind while I walk (laughs) around. Um, and then obviously still trying to maintain that relationship with my parents who are disappointed that I'm choosing to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, so. But once you did leave, they were still able to have that communication with you and and told the your your friends were on the or the show yeah so they were still able to see me but i was definitely um i found i just recently found out like before they could even come and visit me and i should have known that this would be happening when they would come and visit me in minneapolis with my kids once they're born or when they came to my wedding for example they would be put under confessions and they would have to promise that they wouldn't blow which means leave the church Mm -hmm. just to visit me so like they were under extra pressure because the fact that I used to be in the Sea Org. Um, So that's very sad. Um, And then I did not, I told them, I told my mom I wasn't a Scientologist, but I did it in a way that was very relatable because she grew up in a Pentecostal household Mm -hmm. and left that behind. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you grew up Pentecostal and you had to find your own path and you found Scientology. Like I need to find my own path. And she was able to be like, okay, like I see why if you grew up in something you want to discover for yourself. Mm-hmm. So we were able to have that balance and still see each other. But then, yeah, once they found out my friends were on Leah Remini show, then my sister called. I didn't even hear from my mom and my older sister. She's like four years older, six years older. And she was like, we just don't like that you did that. And we just need some space. And normally they would say, like, we're going to disconnect from you. But they don't say that anymore. I think they're trying to change those words. And then I just didn't hear from them again. And then my cousin texted me. She's like, oh, you guys have the same holiday card. And they had picked after my holiday card came out. I don't know if it was a coincidence, but it seems like it wasn't. The same Shutterfly like image that I had done, you know, that about the border, but with just my mom and my dad and my sister. So my brother, mm-hmm. I have a, we have a brother as well. 
who is moved to Minneapolis too, but had nothing to do with my friends or anything. He was cut off too. Like none of us were on their holiday card. Mm-hmm. And it was just so like, it felt like a statement. Like this is mm-hmm. our family. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, you said your brother got cut off too. So I, I assume he also left the Church of Scientology. Yeah, but he wasn't speaking out or doing anything, and neither was I. But it's just the way. Yeah, the way I don't know. I don't. I don't understand the part where they also cut off my brother. But I also didn't understand why they cut me off. Yeah, I think speaking of cut off, I think Kristen's yeah, frozen and cut so. off. <laughs> She'll be back. Yeah. Um, so what made you decide to write your book then about your experience? So growing up, I was always um, reading and I would journal and I was aware by like the time I was nine or 10 that this wasn't a normal existence. So I was like, I had rather read other young memoirs and I was thinking, I'm like, oh, I can write a book about this if anybody was curious what it's like. Because I knew there weren't, there was a couple other ranches that also feed into the Sea Org. It was like, we are the pack ranch. There's an int ranch which is Jenna Miscavige, David Miscavige's niece. She went there and she actually ended up, her book came out way before mine, of course. Um, and it's a huge bestseller. But um, I was just like, I I was capturing it. And then when I was in my early 20s, leaving Scientology or like coming out of that, I started writing it all down. Still never thinking I would publish it because of my parents mm-hmm. and my sister. I didn't want to lose them. So then once they chose to leave me behind or like not talk to me anymore, I was like, you know, I have this story. I feel like somebody needs to tell the story of the pack ranchers and I've been wanting to do it. I should just do it. And I thought I could do it well, like where I can do it in a way that's not angry. It's more of like, this is what it was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can really follow along. So yeah. And it's been a good experience in this, in the sense of my other cadet friends being like, Oh my gosh, like this is, you validated our existence. Like this was how it was. And like, they're like, there's so many parallels of things that were happening to me that they had no idea was happening that was happening to them as well with like the self-talk and the manipulation that was happening where they, the CRC was keeping us in or from leaving. So that was, has been really amazing. And then obviously just more stories out there about Scientology, the better. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah. say what, and what was your hope with publishing it? Was it for the people that were in it or the for people like us outside of the organization to have a better understanding. Uh, what was your hope to have for the impact of the book? I was hoping to have it for the people who have no idea about Scientology and having it more written a more of a, um, what's the word? Like it's, I've written it as a young adult memoir. So it's very fast. It's an easy mm-hmm. read. Not a lot of Scientology words, I've made it so it's more accessible for people, I hope, to really get that picture. And it's written with my friends as people. They're not just cardboard people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all the memoirs out there about Scientology, and they're all great. Some of them have been ghostwritten, too. Mine is just, I thought I can tell a really good story of my childhood, and I thought people could relate to it. Yeah. So it, perspective. The way it's written um, to me felt like... Uh, it's written somewhat like how a fiction story would be written, but not if it's not a fictional story. So it's got like that flow. You're jumping in. We're following you along in your life. And so it is an easy 
read and like it's I want to keep going in it and find out what's going to happen next so yeah it the way you tell it is well really well done thank you yeah that means a lot to me and, and it was very intentional I wanted it to be something that people can read and not have to constantly go to a glossary mm-hmm. I tried to put fill in when I would say a Scientology word which I I didn't use all of the Scientology words I just did it when it was natural and what was happening mm-hmm. in my life I would just try to explain in the words around it instead of being like footnote, stop reading and go read the footnote. <laughs> yeah. And I figured people who, and I'm like this, when I'm reading a book and there's a word I don't know, I love, or history, I don't know. I will stop and go on Wikipedia for a while and read for a while <laughs> and come back if I want to. But if I don't want to, I can just keep reading. And I, I like the uninterrupted flow idea of just telling my story and that in those eyes and including the scenery, including the visual what it's like because when people can picture themselves somewhere they are going to connect more with it and they're going to re- resonate more with it and I thought I hope that's what I I captured with my book and I think I did so mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm excited I've got it's on its way for me as well so uh-huh. I'm like excited to get well, it if you guys want to do like a follow-up we could totally do yeah, it and absolutely listening reads it then we could do like yeah. questions and stuff yeah yeah yeah, I've I've requested that my library get it too. So yeah. <laughs> oh, good idea. Awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I love that. When I get notified when a library adds my book to their uh-huh. to their collection, that makes me so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good idea. I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh man. I had I had questions, but <laughs> oh yeah, I wanted to hear because you mentioned before we started, you mentioned to Quran that you had a period story from oh yeah like growing up with unscientology so I wanted yeah. to hear that story yeah so when I was around 10 my friend um was like oh I, basically I knew about periods because I was living in a dorm with up to 13 year olds so, but all I knew was that like you bleed and then you have to stop it like you have to put a maxi pad and a tampon and once you bleed you're able to have babies so I kind of had like the basic structure and I, I don't remember being scared about it, but I was just like, oh, that sounds like it'll be very annoying, was like my thought. So then and it is. Yeah. <laughs> so when it happened, I wasn't scared. And my friend was like jealous because she was a year older and hadn't gotten it yet. And she's like, I can't believe it. I was young. I was only 10. She's like, I can't believe he got it before me. And I was just like, oh, gosh, how am I going to afford to buy these pads was what I was thinking. Mm. Um, and then down the road though, when we were all going to go swimming, we went, there was a pool and we had gone to a camping trip. Um, my friend, my friend was like, you have to come swimming. I'm like, I can't, I'm on my period. And she's like, oh, just use a tampon. And I was like, I don't know how to use a tampon. And she's like, I'll walk you through it. So like my 11 year old, actually, I think I was 11 or 11 by then she was 12 was like, Hey, go in the tent. We were, cause we were camping. So I remember like my first experience of putting in a tampon was like my friend standing outside the tent being like walking me through the instructions so that I could go swimming in a pool, which was very helpful. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. so funny because I remember, um, I, the having a summer and I was also away from my parents, um, and wanting to go to the beach and never having used a tampon before and it was like a um it was uh an aunt but my uncle's wife so not Mm -hmm. like related to me and I was quite young I was like 13 14 and she's like it's the same hole the boys go in I'm like 
there's no boys going in any <laughs> hole. I still don't know what way. you're talking about. Like, like, uh, <laughs> you're just so cavalier about, like, you know, that hole. I'm like, no, I do not. <laughs> I do <Yeah>. not, ma'am. <laughs> but it's just that assumption that, like, you know, you're 13 now, you know. Like, oh my gosh, you're like, like no, no, please. No, please. Yeah. Yeah. So that was not helpful instruction. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I remember though, because one thing that I've noticed now as an adult is a lot of, at least at Minneapolis, they've tried to be way better about providing sanitary project products Mm -hmm. around because there were times when I didn't have maxi pads when I was young and and couldn't afford it or tampons. And I would just have to use toilet paper. And that's like the saddest thing Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Um, because I didn't have money also growing up, like I was very poor. So to, I love that now some some cities at least and gyms just provide that sanitary product like you don't have to have two quarters or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So yeah, so then when you were um as, as a cadet, so they wouldn't provide that stuff. Like, how would you? Mm-hmm. I had to buy it or I'd borrow it from my friends. And I had this. It's in my book. We all got us uh, paid because we were little adults. Apparently, you know, and. Got $15 a week. It was like 13 something after FICA was taken out, which I don't still, I should Google what FICA is. But um, it's, then we, I just stopped getting paid and I found out it was because I didn't have a social security number. Mm-hmm. And I would call my mom. She's like, yeah, I guess like I forgot. Like, cause uh-huh. she had me in like an apartment building with mm-hmm. a midwife. So she mm-hmm. never filed for that. And so then I wasn't getting paid and nothing's done to help me. And I'm just like trying to figure out how to buy like my shampoo and conditioner, how I don't have shoes at one point in my book, like, and along with sanitary products, like I couldn't, at one point I had only one pair of underwear. So I'm like this young child trying to figure out how to take care of myself and ashamed that I can't take care of myself. I don't even, it never even occurs to me to be like, whoa, adults, look at me, I need help here. Like, I'm just embarrassed. And I'm like borrowing from my friends. Mm-hmm. I beg my mom to get me shoes. And finally, she follows through like it takes her forever, because she also doesn't have a lot of money. It's very um, humbling, I'll say. And yeah. I'm like, to this day, it affects me. Like, when I have to buy clothes for my kids, I always make sure they have their clothes that they need. But if I can get it on thrift, or if I can get it like from the buy nothing groups on Facebook, like it's really hard for me to like spend money when I know they're going to outgrow it. So I'm like, can I, but I always make sure they have just to yeah, be clear. <laughs> but it's just like for things like material, mm-hmm. like to buy an expensive purse, like no way I'm not doing that. Like that's a waste of money because of my like thoughts about money. Mm-hmm. The only thing I like to spend money on is like adventures. Like my husband and I like to travel and do fun stuff with our kids. Cause that's part of life. Mm-hmm. But like things I'm like, I hate, I'm like, Oh no, our couch is like looking like, you know, not great. But I'm like, do we really need to buy a couch? Like that, <laughs> that type of stuff is it's interesting how that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious too, because like, if you, if, if I were to enter into Scientology today, I would be paying money to go through each of the levels when you're born into it. Um, how do how does that work to because you are being raised and you're going into the Sea Org? Did your parents have to pay or was it like because you're in the Sea Org, you're working and so you're earning earning your what you're learning? Yeah, it's a great question. So you you get to do Scientology studies 
for free. But then guess what? Another thing that hangs on you if you're going to leave is you have to pay all of that money back for mm. all of that training you did. So which is wild. So it doesn't start till you join when you're joining the Sea Org and they before you join the Sea Org, you have something called the EPF. Mm. All these this word just means the group of people who have to do like labor and study, study five courses before they join the CR, you have to pay for that. Whereas as we all know, like when you go and join a company and they send you off for training, they pay for it. And it's not mm-hmm. like when you people are like, Hey, pay me back for that conference I sent you to, <laughs> you know, like you're working for them. So it should be all part of it. But when you leave, I had friends who were put on full-time Scientology training so they could be auditors by the time they were 12 years old training all the way till they're like 20. So they had like 70 K in debt to the church of Scientology when they left at 19 years old, 20 years old. And then they, it's like, how are you even going to pay it? And some mm-hmm. of them were making payments on it. I did not have, I had just the EPF cause I like never went on course cause I would be naughty and do other things. So I had to pay five, $5,000 though, to get in good standing but I was just like, I'll give you like $5. Like I would just barely I would do like a trickle amount so I could say I was paying and be in good standing so I could see my family. But isn't that wild that they mm-hmm. literally had these young kids like us who they told your job is to join the CEO. You don't get to do anything else. You don't get to be a doctor. You don't get to be a vet. You can't be this or a gymnast or whatever. Like this is what you're doing. Then they train us. And then they when we decide to leave and have a life, they're like, oh, and you need to pay us all that money back. It's like really, really horrible. Yeah. How do they choose who's like going to be in the Sea Org? Yeah. So many are called fewer chosen. That's what they told us. So we could feel special. But really, it was just like you're an able body. Get in the Sea Org. Now, if you were suicidal or something, which is like they really look down on like mental health, then I think they would not let you join. Um, cause like they, I, when I was supposed to join, there's a moment where they're like, Hey, you, I, somebody reported this piece of paper where you said, I hate my life. You, this sucks. Life sucks. I was like, yeah, I'm 13. What do you expect me to be writing? That's what I said. I'm like, no, I'm not going to kill myself. Cause they were like, they don't want to have that on their hands. But otherwise like, yeah, if you can work, you should be here working and be doing the Sea Org. So it's not really many are called fewer chosen. It's like you guys were born here and we're going to put you in the CR. Now there's mm-hmm. Scientology parishioners. They have children and they go to like normally like Scientology, but they're not called Scientology schools. Mm-hmm. They're like really good privates or not good, but expensive private schools. Mm-hmm. And then when they eventually by 15 and 16, they start to get recruited too. So I encounter when I'm in the Sea Org, the kids who are like out, who are the public Scientologist children and um, what it's like for, for them in that type of pressure, mm-hmm. which is different because they have somewhere to go if they leave. Mm-hmm. So like, there's somebody who's trying to leave at the same time as me. And, she, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to my mom and go to her apartment. We'll go back to high school. It's like, oh, that's nice to know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you were actually like you lived there. So, yeah, yeah. you didn't really have anywhere else to go. Mm hmm. So I just wanted to clarify. So you said you went to the ranch at like eight ish, right? So yes. with your parents in and your parents were in the Sea Org. Yes. Okay. So where did you live with them before then? So before that, I was in dorms again, but it was in LA and it was in like my parents were on a different floor. So oh. they were on like the fourth, the third floor or the second floor, depending where their room was at the time. 
and they shared like a small apartment space with another couple normally. And then they would like have the dual kitchen. That was at the beginning when I was like six years old and they would pick me up on Saturday nights and we would have Sunday, spend the night Saturday night and have Sunday morning with them. This is me and I have three siblings. So we would like do two per bed because it a bunk bed. But then eventually when my sister gets sent to the ranch, by the time she's probably 10 or 11, then they stopped picking us up on the Saturday nights. And then it was just the Sunday morning and we would like go to Rite Aid and get ice cream or um, it's like similar to like, you know, grocery store. Mm-hmm. And that was like our family time. Like if they needed to do laundry, we'd go do laundry together and get ice cream. And that was our family time every Sunday morning until I was eight when I got sent to the ranch. Wow. Then they would have one family day they used to do when we were six. That was once a year where they would take take us all on a picnic or something, have buses and everybody would get to go. So that was one day and then they'd you know, have Christmas. Those are your family times. So you still had Christmas? Yeah. But it was like, so as I got older, it would be, I would just see them later after Christmas. I think normally I would, I would just generally have Christmas just at the ranch with my friends and maybe we'd buy each other little gifts like dollar from the dollar store. Mm-hmm. And then I would eventually see my parents when I could see them, they would p- treat Christmas like, Oh, that's not a good day for Christmas. So the the org, you guys are all going to this org, you're going to celebrate Christmas on this day. And then that's just the day they would celebrate Christmas mm-hmm. like that. Interesting. But it wasn't like about religion or Jesus Christ or anything. It was just about, this is the day we give out presents. Presents. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, now you're, you're out, you're sharing your story. Um, we like to ask about good trouble. I mean, you've obviously been creating good, good trouble, but what, when you hear that phrase, what, what does it mean to you? And then how are you creating good trouble? Yeah. Good trouble would just mean trouble that makes people think more for mm-hmm. themselves and not, and go against the grain. Maybe if the grain, like if that flow that everybody else is on is not a good one, so if everybody's piling on someone, but for example, for doing something wrong, like, do you need to do that? Probably not, you know, especially if they've apologized. Um, so yeah, for myself, it feels good to be speaking out. It took a lot. I The first interview I did was with somebody who was in the Sea Org at the same time as me. So he was very kind and a good person to speak with because he knew what I was going through mentally to be out and to have my face out there. I two weeks before this book came out, I was literally like, I'm going to do everything anonymous. I'm not going to have my name on there. Um, So my friend who I grew up with as well was like, you know what, like, I'll have to say like, she had been speaking out and she's like, there's something freeing about having your name out there and break that chain. And like, yeah, I'm creating trouble, good trouble, but, and it feels good, but it's, it was very hard for me to do. And now I'm glad I did it. Although still part of me, it's like, I'm worried about my parents and if they're under any duress because of me. Um, but they all, I also had the story to tell and it was like, they have chosen, they could, in the end, they could leave or they could say, no, I want to see my daughter, but that's going to, they have to create that decision for themselves. So I'm hoping like maybe this cognitive dis- dissonance of like knowing I am out there, I am speaking out. And maybe they'll be like, well, maybe something isn't right about this. Maybe I should be able to see my daughter and my, and their other son, Jason and be, yeah. And 
maybe they would leave. I mean, I'm trying not to give up. And I think that first half year, I I would like send flowers and still do things to try to be like, hey, I'm still here because I didn't quite believe that they disconnected from me. And then when I realized that they had emotionally, I had to just focus on my family. I had baby twins and I had a three-year-old and my husband was traveling for work. It was just like, I need to just be here and present and I can't control what they're doing. So I kind of just like stopped trying for for a few years because they weren't responding to anything. And I would hear from my aunts who are con- who would still talk to them and I would know that they were okay. Um, they were not Scientologists, my aunts, but they could have these conversations. Um, but now I think I'm coming to a place where I'm like, I think I now that I'm out, I'm like, I think I'm going to try to like just send more notes and let them know I'm here. If they want to leave, you don't need to leave. My parents are past retirement age. There's no reason for the Sea Org to keep them. So, but I don't have a way of reaching them, honestly. Like they have that type of control. Mm-hmm. So, it, like what you were saying too, with the, that initial fear of putting your name out there because of what might happen. I mean, that is, it, it, it's a huge freeing step to be able to say, well, m- what I have to say matters and that the other people that are involved, they are our adults who get to make their own decisions within this. So I get to say what's true for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, and they get to decide how they handle it or what they do with this information. So, but that's a, a, such a huge step. That's, really hard to make and so yeah the to be able to allow yourself to to do that and to put your name on it and in fact in using the name that people from Scientology will recognize too um it's it's a it's a big step so that definitely is some good trouble thank you <laughs> yeah it's been it's been a journey and like my friends that I grew up with some of them unfriended me on social media you know I'm in Minneapolis so I'm not really in LA it's where most of my friends are and then some of them DM me quietly like hey I can't say anything I'm still connected to my parents but this is so cool like to have that support it's like all of it has been worth it even though it was hard but it's 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 really cool and like I didn't do this to make money. You cannot anybody knows you do not make a lot of money from a book. I did this to share a story. I'm doing it because I think it's important to talk about the children of a Sea Org as another aspect of what is wrong with the cult of Scientology, really, and why it shouldn't be called a religion. That would be the big step. Is if like enough people really cared, we can take that or you know take that the the tax exempt status away that's already huge because those tax dollars that they're not having to pay they use this money to harass people and send pis and like do things like that or cover up rapes and things like that for danny masterson like that's not okay for this huge organization to just exist and not have any consequences so i'm happy to be one of one little person in that circle of the larger circle that's coming out and speaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it, it seems to be more and more too. like, there's yeah. more people speaking. So yeah, hopefully that tax exam status, more people that speak that it's able to go away so that mm-hmm. it does start to people do start looking at it too. Like, yes, this is a cult. And like like anything you get to decide if you want to stay in it but also yeah Yeah. exactly and even the people in it if they're going oh Catherine's now speaking out this person's not speaking out that like they're not all we can't all be liars 
Mm-hmm. Like that's what Scientology will label people who speak out. They're liars. They're this, that they get, they try to like, um, attack their character. Luckily I have not been attacked. I think I'm too, like I'm a small fish to fry, you know, <laughs> when you got Leah Remini out there mm-hmm. <laughs> taking all the heat and Aaron Smith Levin, he's got a great SPTV YouTube channel. I was on his, I did an interview with him as well. Um, but he like, the amount of money and attention they put on attacking people who are telling their stories. It's like, that's a big red flag. Everybody sees this. Like, why aren't you saying, Hey, we're sorry. Maybe we should have treated these children better. Or like, Oh, we'll stop attacking you. And like, this is what they believe or they don't want to be part of our church. That's their choice. That's okay. Instead. They're like, you guys are all horrible people. So I'm hoping my friends that I grew up with, they're like, that are still in it. I have friends who are cadets who are still in the Sea Org now at the end of the thirties, just like get out now. What if you want to have kids? Like <laughs> you still have time, you know? Um, maybe one of them will see my book and be like, Oh, it's from the ranch. Kind of want to read it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you hear on like Leah's show and stuff all about like the, the PIs and the, like all the, um, the shit that people go through when they're leaving mm-hmm. other than your parents, like disconnecting from you have mm-hmm. you which is huge like don't get me wrong I'm not trying to trivialize that at all have you had any kind of issues with with the organization coming after you I haven't so I'm super thankful I'm like mm-hmm. I, I honestly it's like is it an insult maybe <laughs> that they don't want it? <laughs> like, I don't want it in my life like like I am also far away. I'm not in LA. Like it's easier to harass people who are right down the street from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you'd have to pay for somebody to fly all the way out here or maybe hire someone who works here. But the things that they could do though, I'm like, what can they do? Paper my neighborhood and say, what, what can you say about a child? Nothing. I don't yeah. think they can say anything. So I also don't think they have anything to say mm-hmm. for me. Whereas like some of the people who've yeah. left like anyway, none, none of the reasons why they attack people make sense. But I was also, I did go through what would they, what could they do that would hurt me? Mm-hmm. Like, I actually really don't know. Cause even if they papered my neighborhood, what would that say? This yeah. person was a bad cadet. Yeah, I know. It's in my book title. I was, <laughs> that's what I called it. <laughs> so Thanks I for putting my book title out there. <laughs> too, like, there's not really what they have done is taken, like, I did manage to get, a phone number. Somebody listened to my interview with Aaron Smith Levin and this other woman, Nora Ames, and they reached out. They had recently been in the Sierra. They knew where my parents were. They had a phone number, which was crazy. I had no way of reaching them because the only way to call was through the church and leave a message and I would never hear back. Mm-hmm. So I called them and I did talk to them and that was amazing. And I told my mom about my book and she was not very happy about it, but she knows and I said, it wasn't meant to attack Scientology because it's not. I'm telling the story of me growing up. It's just, you know, people are going to form their opinions, rightly so, about what it is. Um, and it was a good conversation. I said, I'm always here. But then the phone line literally got disconnected like the next day. And, it, and my brother tried to call. So that part has been like, it's very intentional that they're keeping her from me and my dad. I'm like, they're getting old. Like, I would like to take care of them or like be there for them. I would like them to see their grandkids. So that it's, I'm like, have I made it worse by having this book? Cause now they re- really will never let them see me, but I'm like, but they already weren't allowed to see me. So mm-hmm. really what has changed? I got, she got to speak with them because of the book, because somebody saw me interview. 
So that was a positive and I'm going to just keep trying to reach out. And my older sister, I, I, I got to see if I could somehow reach her. But right now it's like they've battened down the hatches, I think, on people in the Scientology Sea Org and they're trying not to let them talk to the outside world and it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculous, right? It's like, how is that happening? It's, it's, yeah. it's really happening. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was, I'm curious. Uh, about... just... Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we're both at the same time. I was just thinking it's like one of those things where they probably they might even know like this is getting this is getting to a breaking point. So let's protect the people that are still like loyal within the organization before we lose more. They like they might know the end is near for them. Yeah. I mean they've they have so much bad press right now. So mm-hmm. I couldn't I I couldn't imagine anybody joining Scientology who was like a full grown adult being like, Oh, I still want to learn about this, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, I know their membership is dwindling a lot. Um, and eventually all of those big whales that they call them, like people who are huge Scientology donors who have a lot of money, like they're not going to live forever. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. That was literally going to be my question. Like <laughs> I imagine the, the like numbers of Scientologists is, it must be in decline do you find a lot of people that grew up in the church like yourself are also leaving or are those the people more likely to stay i have found that most cadets have left mm-hmm. that i grew up with and are even not scientologists but they have to be quiet about that because they can't lose their parents who are in the sea org mm-hmm. so um and then the ones who stayed are the ones who are like kind of you know stuck in that world so I hope that they'll leave. Like one of them left recently because they got pregnant. So like like mm-hmm. I was saying, that does happen. Mm-hmm. So that's great. And she seems happy. And like I see them on social media because I still have some friends and I won't say who or and nobody's going to listen to it. I mean, we were this is the paranoia. I'm like, oh, they have what's called OSA, which is like you could picture like Black o- or like the like the Russian spies or something who like. <laughs> I'm All always of a sudden like, our numbers go really high. We're not going to be listening to this. I'm like, well, like but anyway. if our numbers all of a sudden like quadruple, yes, they've got <laughs> their OSA bots out there. But yeah, I have friends and I see they're all still hanging out. And I've talked to some of them who like DM me and they're like, no, none of us are in, like, none of us practice Scientology. We just keep it quiet because we can't lose our parents. Mm-hmm. And like, that's such a sad existence, though, for even for them to have to, like, pretend and, like, they all act like they're, like, everything's fine. But at least they're not Scientologists, so it's a step. Yeah. It's so interesting how many, like, groups other than Scientology, like, we had a young woman, and this, this was, like, a couple years ago now. Um, who had left? Was it a Christian fundamentalist group that she had uh, left? I believe it was Jew- Jewish, Jewish Orthodox. Jewish mm-hmm. Orthodox, who had left, you know, such a strict culture. And then, uh, same thing, you know, the the kind of punishment for that is just completely being disowned by your family mm-hmm. um, for an organization. And I, I mean, sometimes you got to think like, what is the difference between a religion and a cult? And to me, like. When I left the Catholic church, no, no one told my parents they couldn't talk to me. Yeah. Uh, right. And like, no one cares at the Catholic church, what I do or do not 
do. And yeah. I guess that to me is like the difference between like a cult is so much more controlling. And yeah, we, we talked to a young, a young girl, this was a couple of years ago, like I said, who had left the yeah Jewish Orthodox church and same thing, like her family's not talking to her. And like the, the, like I said, the price is so high to leave that it's like, you no longer have free will. I mean, you do, but like to lose pretty much everything when you leave is such a, is a high price to pay. It really so is. And that's a really big way of how they control people is mm-hmm. that part is like, you don't want to lose everything. Yeah. And especially like my parents who dedicated what, let's see, at least 35 years, no, 40 years of their life mm-hmm. to throw it away. And even if you left saying, okay, I'm just still a Scientologist, it's still like a part of you. It's like you're leaving that you're so comfortable now in this like existence where they tell you every decision, every decision is made for you. You cannot just go and take a day off and go somewhere. Like you have to request time to take a full day off. You get that little morning chunk I told about, but if you want a full day to just go enjoy yourself, you need to request it and get like at least four people to approve that. Like this is the amount of minutia and like, everything that they do is under control by somebody else. So how fearful, scary would that be too, to be like, how will I make my own choices and do my own, make my, um, like, where will I go and everything? So there's a lot for people to lose, especially if they're the older generation, like my parents. And then the younger generation, I'm like, get out now. Like you have a chance to build your life up. All of them should get out now. And, And there's a group called the Aftermath Foundation, um, and they are now helping people who are in the Sea Org and they h- will help them get set up, which is amazing. Like to have that out there and available is really cool. And I, I imagine for like the first generation too, there's that fear of like, what if I was wrong? Like, what if this choice I made abs- like ab- actually was the wrong choice? I've just now dedicated decades of my life to it. Now mm-hmm. what? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you watched Mike Rinder's Mm -hmm. interview, like for him to have come out, he was number three at the top of the church of the chain for his name to be out there too. And like for Mm -hmm. just to see that and be like, so that's really empowering. Like, oh, this, Mm -hmm. he left and he restarted his life and he actually Mm -hmm. got married and is having kids, like a whole second family, which is like, it's, it is possible. And so all of these stories I'm telling, Mike Rinder's telling, Jenna Miscavige is told, I think will eventually pierce through that bubble that they have, hopefully, and maybe more and more will trickle out. And I, I mean, this church or cult will not, I don't think it'll be around past 50. I mean, I, I can't make these predictions, but I'm like, there's no <laughs> way it feels, it feels like it's slowly crumbling down, mm-hmm. but it takes work and it takes effort and it's not just going to happen on its own. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, why are there so many actors and actresses in Scientology? Like, is there a what is the draw for them to to be in Scientology? It's the connections, I think. Like, if you're in it and you join that group, then they might, you know, they have an agent for you, or they'll help you get started, and then you're in this small group. And also, when you first join Scientology, like, the attitude of people in Scientology is very upbeat and happy so you're like oh this is a great group of people and like you probably are lost a little bit when you're in hollywood so now you're like oh i'm gonna be here and like oh danny masterson also is in this play at the church because they do the sense every christmas they would do these plays and ashton kutcher would be in a mila kunis Mm -hmm. so if you're an actor 
you're getting to hobnob with like Laura Pepin, Jason Lee wasn't at the time, Juliette Lewis. I saw these people. I went to parties because I was a Scientologist and it's like such a small insular world. So if you get, if you're an actor, like how cool is that? Mm-hmm. So it's a big draw and, and they really cater to celebrities. They are not treated the same as regular Scientologists. They're yeah, like, they have like the celebrity center. Yeah. Um, so what is, of course, is that different? With the regular public, huh? How is that different? Yeah. So they're not with with the regular public. Anything that happens, it's bad. So for example, somebody says, oh, Danny Masterson raped me. They're like, whoa, Danny Masterson is a celebrity who speaks well about Scientology. They're going to be on Danny Masterson's side. And then they're just going to try to like, they try to uh, shut that down, basically. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't rape. Like one of them was his girlfriend. So it's like, you're his girlfriend. It's like, oh, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, You could still be raped and be in a relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are really cares who Tom Cruise, for example, all of his staff around him are CIRC members or Scientologists. Mm-hmm. So that means everybody around him will never, ever question anything he does. How nice would that be? Mm-hmm. If you were like God, basically, if nobody could ever be like, oh, Tom, I don't think that's a good idea. Like mm-hmm. they're always gonna be like, yes, Tom, like treat him like he knows it all. And he's treated in Scientology as if he's like a God. Like they like had a whole video about him and gave him this medal of honor, the freedom mm-hmm. medal. He's like, this is the best award I ever got. And Scientologists are like, wow, Tom Cruise is on our side. Like, this makes it even more great. Like, so true that this is such a good religion mm-hmm. when it's all not. Hmm. But yeah, the celebrities get treated like deities, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, very. I crazy. mean, so they get tr- they get treated a little too well in like regular society. Regular as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So now you have another place that continues to treat them like that. Like, don't you want to be told sometimes? Like, don't you want yeah. to grow? <laughs> no, not them. No. no. <laughs> yeah. It's the stories you hear, like the like Tom Cruise is like, but they're like the David Miscavige was like, we're gonna find him a girlfriend, a Scientologist girlfriend, and was mm-hmm. like interviewing young Scientologist yeah. woman his girlfriend and they found him one and then she said like one thing to him like oh I don't think it's okay or something like really small oh. and she was made to scrub a bathroom with a toothbrush to make up for talking to Tom Cruise like that like wow. it's like that's unreal right that that mm-hmm. they have this control over his life and on the people who are Scientologists they're like you need to make sure he's happy mm-hmm. yeah uh, and I've heard that of that like oh this person auditioned to be tom Cruise's yeah. girlfriend i'm mm-hmm. like what the fuck is that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was like scarlett johansson uh-huh. and then i think he even dated penelope cruz for a while and then she was like i'm out like this is like weird and then katie holmes they found out she had a crush on him when she was young so they're like she's the one mm-hmm. and she was down for it until she realized she got out though and but she signed an nda so she hasn't really spoken out mm-hmm. about anything but that would be amazing if she eventually was like Screw this NDA. I was under pressure. This doesn't count. Invalid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember when he started dating Katie Holmes. It was, to me, I was like, what? she's she's mm-hmm. around my age. And yeah. she was talking about how like she has a had a poster hanging of him up in her room. I'm like, that's a little weird to me. Like all yeah. that's going on. So then late, like, yeah, now looking back on it and hearing like she interviewed. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, she was interviewed to be his girlfriend. I'm like, oh. So it all makes so much more well, sense. She's manipulated, now. basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Her past crush, she was like an easy mm-hmm. one to get. And she's, I think she's a sweet person. So I'm mm-hmm. sure 
excited and didn't yeah. think of further. And yeah. she's just coming off Dawson's Creek and early into fame. So yeah, of course, <laughs> this is amazing. Tom Cruise is yeah. my crush is <laughs> interested in that. And think about this. He doesn't even go see Siri. Like she's probably, mm. Tom Cruise is just like, oh, this child is not important to me because she's probably a suppressive person. Like you, they compartmentalize everything. Mm. And when you're, again, that big word of say, that phrase, saving the world, it makes everything else less important mm-hmm. because you're saving the world. So like, oh, and you believe in reincarnation too in Scientology. So it's like, I've had many lives or I've had children I will sacrifice my daughter this life because I need to do what's best for the world. Like what mm-hmm. a weird concept, right? Mm-hmm. Well, especially like Ellen Hubbard is a science fiction writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and he a- knows about the aliens that come out like in the upper levels of the bridge. All Most Scientologists are beneath that level. Mm-hmm. And then when they get there, they've already put in hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're like, oh, shit maybe (laughs) everything around you is about this and now you have to believe an alien cam and like drop the instant a volcano Mm -hmm. i'm like i still don't really understand even though i've read it a few times Mm -hmm. it's just wild well and Mm -hmm. then so there was certain like there's a certain was a certain amount of levels right and then Mm -hmm. i guess was it that people started reaching whatever the levels and then all of a sudden like oh we found more writing so now there's more levels so people still yeah. have to keep mm-hmm. paying and to keep or going up and up mm-hmm. the level so they're like oh you did you guys all did what's called this is this happened just recently in the early 2000s what's called the basics and it's like all the like it's actually really Alan Hubbard did a good job of taking material from different like Buddhism or just regular self-help about how to communicate, mm-hmm. how to have a happy marriage. These normal tools to like exist. He wrote them out in a very like well-written way or not. Like it was just, that's how when people, when they first join, they actually do have good, like good moments mm-hmm. where like, oh, now I know how to communicate to my spouse or now I know how to mm-hmm. do this. This is why this is happening. So there are little tools at the beginning, baseline of Scientology. And then everybody does those. And then like literally like 10 years later, like, never mind. Those basics were all wrong. You're going to do it again. And they, they just reworded it and repackaged it. And they made mm-hmm. everybody buy them. They mm-hmm. were like three grand, not joking, for like 10 of these books. And my mom was calling me, you should buy these basics. I'm like, mom, I'm not even a Scientologist. Why would I buy those? She's like, well, I already bought my own. I have them in my room. I'm like, why? You have it at the org. I'm like, mm-hmm. no. Like they, like she wanted to and it's just so sad i'm like you don't have a lot of money all you get is your social security check because she's like over 65 Mm -hmm. and then a little bit of stipend they get like 35 dollars after taxes a month oh Mm -hmm. oh, every two weeks or every week anyway well and imagine growing up in scientology though you must think that these were his ideas that like this was this is the teachings of Ron Hubbard, not knowing that like no, this is like basic therapy, or you know what I mean? Yeah. That there, yeah. it's not something unique to the organization. That these things happen outside, which and like you were saying that you know the idea of that if you left, you were going to become promiscuous and do drugs. And I'm like, there's there's plenty of us out here that are you know, are none of, do none of those things. Um, but I imagine learning those teachings especially growing up that it must feel like he like invented them. And yeah. Like- oh no, it totally. I, he was the creator. He's so yeah. smart. He's a genius. That's how I felt about him. And it's like, you cannot question what he says. If you don't understand it, you go back and read it and find what words you don't understand. It's like mm-hmm. what you get 
people to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody will explain his words to you. You need to read L. Ron Hubbard's words and find it out for yourself. It's mm-hmm. very much like he knows it all. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, a lot of that was pulled from other material, but they don't tell you that when you're mm-hmm. reading all that. You're just, they're just like, he's brilliant. And it's so funny because he literally has papers on everything, like how to wash a window. Like I literally <laughs> read the policy by Ellen Hubbard about how to wash a window. Like why? <laughs> so much writing to do. <laughs> I can't imagine. So much. I'm like, how did he write this much? Yeah. <laughs> rooms and rooms of writing. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm like, it's, it's wild. Mm. yeah I remember such an imagination on him (laughs) yeah yeah I remember as a younger person driving by because we have a a, a church of Scientology um, building here in Vancouver and I just remember thinking like oh a church with science like that sounds like exactly up my alley as like a like I said someone who left the Catholic church I was like a church with science like that it's got but yeah then is not what it is <laughs> yeah no and, and i think you did that intentionally science yeah. it's science uh, fictionology <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and yeah i mean we obviously could talk forever but yeah. and and later on after we've fully read the book um love to talk with you yeah i think more. that's a great idea <laughs> i'd love to yes yeah. mm-hmm. a really great conversation and yeah. anybody who like wants to know more like we talked about where they can go too also but also mm-hmm. read my book if you want to read like a young coming of age memoir it's very fun which is a weird word to mm-hmm. describe for a book but i would say it kind of is uh yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's fun in a way of being very relatable too mm-hmm. like i mean because people want to understand why did somebody join a cult or why is somebody part of a cult but that's because we're all afraid we can do it ourselves, which we have in some way or another, most mm-hmm. likely because of the world we live in. So. People <laughs> surprised at how many intelligent people join cults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. didn't have a choice in my scenario, but I mean, my parents are not dumb, but they just got bought into something. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So uh, where can our listeners go to uh, learn more like to get your book or is there somewhere too if they want to learn more from you about um Scientology mm-hmm. and you is there somewhere where they can go to find you also yeah they can get my book anywhere for ebook on all those platforms and amazon for paperback i'm hoping to get my audible out in like two months but you can follow me or maybe a month we'll see um i'm halfway there my and you can follow me at Bad Cadet on Instagram and Twitter. And for sure I'll announce there when the Audible comes mm-hmm. out. If you're like, oh, I'm gonna wait till the Audible, just follow me there. And on my Bad Cadet Instagram page, I put photos from the ranch. So if you're curious what it looked like, what that child just to get a little bit more of a peek into mm-hmm. my childhood and uh th- that's available for anybody who wants it. Yeah. And well, yep. <laughs> I lost my thought. I'm reading the question right here too. How would, well, before we get to our very last question, do you remember the joke that you had chat GPT make? Otherwise I can ask it. I have it down. <laughs> okay. This one needs to, we haven't done pirate jokes in a while, but it needs to, because it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do pirates recruit new members to their cult? They use a hook line and sinker <laughs> oh yes very good thanks chat gbt <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> me out of a bind when you're like can you give me a pirate joke i'm like 
ChatGPT, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so bad at jokes too. Um, before we go, last question, how would you recommend our listeners kind of breaking free and starting their own pirate life or their pirate journey? I would recommend, I think we talked about this a little bit in the middle of this, of our whole conversation is just always stay true to yourself. And then if you just take that one step at a time, like, okay, like this job is not giving me joy, then it's like, okay, well, what's the thing that does give me joy and just start there. So anywhere, any, anything you have a question about, whether it's relationship, just looking inward and being like, what is something I want? And like, maybe jump starting from there. One step at a time, though. I know it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Catherine, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm like excited. I didn't say this, but I've done the whole group of cult podcasts and YouTube. So I'm trying to come out into other podcasts just because I really want to share the story all around. So I'm so glad you guys let me have this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pirate Living Podcast. We really enjoyed our conversation with today's guests and hope you enjoyed it too. If you are enjoying Pirate Living Podcast and all the content we bring to you each week, One way you can support us is to buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pirate living. Other ways you can show your support as well, subscribe and follow Pirate Living Podcast, rate and review our show, and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up with the latest episodes, awesome guests, and bonus clips. Pop in and say hi. We love chatting with fellow pirates. You can also reach out to us uh, to learn more about our individual and group coaching programs. Ask her on about her online nutrition programs and in-person programs she's creating for teens. For the little pirates in your life, check out my, Kristen's, Abracadabra books and my wins journal on Amazon. And check out Language Ninjas on Instagram. You can also check out our pirate merch at our online pirate shop or on TeePublic. The links to these are in the show notes to check there. And as usual, keep creating good trouble.